Normally we have children's message right now, but uh, the children are having a fantastic time over there, so I get to speak to older children in this room, <laughs> as we are all children. Um, let me start with a story from the commentary I read. I thought it was such a cute story I wanted to share with you. An adult once asked a little girl, do you love broccoli? And the girl said, oh yes, I love broccoli. So he gave her, uh, on her plate, broccoli, and she wouldn't eat it. She went like this. And he said, I thought you loved broccoli. She says, I do. I just don't love it that much. And so we had this idea that love is different. Love has variations. And when we say we love broccoli and I love my children, we all know there, there's going to be a discrepancy. And so I want to say we often get love wrong. And the reason why we get we don't love properly is we often have a misunderstanding of love. And we get it wrong because our definition of love has become really weird, especially in this modern era. Um, love could apply for many things. And so here's how the Bible defines love. And if you look inside your bulletin, there's an outline that I would love for you to follow along. And the first verse that we see, this is what the Bible says love is in 1 John 3, verse 18. Little children... Let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Could we read that together? Here we go. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. So love is an action, and it's always centered around truth, God's truth. So just because we want to make somebody happy, if it's not connected with truth, that may, that's not love. And love just spoken and felt is not love either. Love has to be done in action. So it's both a being as well as a doing. You can say love is truly a verb. So many of us believe we are very loving people. Um, surveys have shown that. How loving are you? Would you say you're a loving person? And most everybody says, oh, I'm not perfect, but I, I, I think I'm loving. And so... Uh, the studies have revealed that we often overestimate our capacity of kindness and love compared to what other people actually think about how we live. And so if that's true, this is what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. He says, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets when you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. So C.S. Lewis's insight I find to be true because I've seen this in marriage, premarital counseling sessions. When you treat your spouse with love, whether you feel like it or not, especially when you don't feel like it, but you show loving acts, it actually grows and connects you in that love. So this action is sourced in our love, but also our love is fed by the actions we do. And this is a human nature secret that God put in us. So loving is not just a feeling, it circulates with doing, and doing brings in even more feeling. So, as a classical timeless song that you may have heard, What is Love? That was a joke. Do you remember that song, What is Love? 
And how is it that different from pop culture's love versus God's love? And so as Christians, we want to understand God's love. And that's why we're at 1 Corinthians 13. And we travel through chapter 12, now we're at 13. And spiritual gifts, we heard last few weeks, it's nothing without love. So you could be the best singer. You could be the most incredible preacher. You could be the best administrator in church or servant. You could feed the homeless. All of these things are great. But if at the core you do not have love, Paul says it's meaningless. Now just to bring it into real life, we know that's true. Because how many of us have seen celebrities who are talented, professional singers, and they're just amazing. They're idolized, but their own children or family has no relationship with them. They're just disconnected. It's not the talent that leads to relational success. It's, it's love. Business people who, who love their families, so they work hard and hard, but they're never home. They find their children not having any relationship with their dad, and the father has worked hard for the family, but there is no love. It was just just the means to drive to get money. So in all these things, we need to recognize this. What is love? Do I love like God wants me to love? In church world, in the secular world, it's not the talent. It's our capacity to love. So verse 8 through 13, I'm going to jump down before we focus on the loves. Paul says this. Everything in this world, your gifts and your talents, they're going to end. Prophecy will end. Your incredible knowledge and need to know more is going to end. All the wonderful church work here, mission work, is going to end. And on that day, the only thing that remains is love. All these things will end. Good things. Preaching is good. Mission work is good. Administration is good. All these things are good, but without love, you got nothing because they will end, and the only thing that keeps going is love. So what is this love? Well, the Bible defines God's love as agape. You've, you've seen that. In some versions of the Bible, we see the word uh, ch of charity. But God, agape love is this. It's defined as a caring, self-sacrificing commitment, which shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. Let me read that again. It's a caring, self-sacrificing commitment which shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. And it is completely opposite of the love pushing us in social media and the world today. It's whatever makes you feel good, just do it. If that makes you happy, just do it because we love you and we just want you to be happy. The problem with that, if you hear it, is there's no cost Real love is this, I am willing to lay myself down for the truth and the goodness of what you need. So it's costly, it's vulnerable. Love is not cheap. Genuine love will kill you, and it, it just makes you lesser or lifts up the other person to a point where you may sacrifice greatly. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, what Nathan just read today, it sets the bar high, and I want to say something audacious. I, I think this is audacious. I don't think I read this correctly my whole life. You know, love is patient, love is kind. I read it as, if you love people, live like this. But have you really identified these words? I want to say, God, this is an impossible standard of love. 
Just take a look at it. Read it. Can, do you do this constantly, every day, regularly? Is this in your system? Once in a while, I could be patient. This morning, I left the house, and my kids were in the car, and my wife, and I forgot my phone. And I don't need my phone, but we need the phone to do the camera. So I, was, I got impatient with myself, and I was thinking, great, you're about to preach about love is patient, and you couldn't even do that. It's so hard. So let's break it down, and in your notes, I put a blank, and I just want to encourage you, invite you to write, what does that love look, mean to you? as we unpack the, what the Bible is saying. So let's go into each of these. I think there's about 14. And so the first one is, love is patient. And all of us say yes. And then the next question is, are you patient? All of us say, ah. The Greek word literally means long-tempered. I, as opposed to short-tempered. So the, the nature of love in us causes us to have this extreme patience, and I love the way uh, this author puts it. It's this patience where we're slow to anger. We endure personal wrongs even without retaliating. Here's a kicker. You bear with others' imperfections, faults, and differences. Why? Because you give them time to change, room to make mistakes without coming down hard on them. By the way, which each of these, each of us should want to repent today. Thank God we're going to the table, Christ's grace, because you are not meant to walk out here being affirmed that you are truly, you and I are truly loving people. And love is patient. It's really hard because think about your ex, think about your boss, think about your obnoxious neighbor, think about those people who annoyed you on the road here. And love creates this patience. Ever write a nasty email or text? Ever, ever snap at your loved ones? Hey, honey, are we having dinner? Yes, we are. Okay. Just, okay. Love is patient. Wow. Next one. Love is kind. Whereas patience is about the battle inside your heart. That's one because there's loving nature, but a lot of us, we're still realizing we're struggling. Kindness is outward. It, it's, it, it comes out of us. It's something we do outside of us. Patience is a battle we do inside of us. Kindness is an outward behavior. And what it basically is asking, how often and do you, are you invited and willing to go out of your way to esteem another, a gesture of goodness to others who may not even pay you back? Do you recognize others' needs regularly? In this room, on Sundays, when we gather together for church, do you, are you conscious and maybe in praying, hey, that person needs, looks like they need a little encouragement. Ki love is kind means we are fixed on the needs of others. Do you treat others like the way you like to be treated? This is where the golden rule comes in. It's sourced in love. How kind are you? Next. Love is not jealous. Well, I, I got that one. I don't get jealous. But this is what it means. Jealous is that little desire to have what others have. I want that. Why can't I have that? And here's how it comes out in us. In love, we celebrate the successes and accomplishments of other people. Your daughter got a full scholarship to college? Oh, praise God. Good news. Rather than, oh, her? <laughs> 
Why, why them? Why not us? And so jealous is this envy and the, jo- jo- the keeping up with the Joneses. And love doesn't go there because there's a contentment in us. Jealousy is love. It's not love because you want it for yourself. Love is pleased with others being blessed. Jealousy means you really feel you're entitled to what they have. And there's no love. It's about me. So Paul says love is not jealous. He says love does not boast. Man, this gets more and more uncomfortable. Uh, John MacArthur says this. I thought it was really insightful. Jealousy is wanting what someone else has. Bragging is trying to make others jealous of what we have. Jealousy puts others down. Bragging builds us up. Wow. So bragging, what do we do in bragging? It's not love. It's driven by this idea. I want the whole world to see how perfect my life is. And we are in the throes of that because teens are looking at TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, and seeing the other kids living this amazing life, and they're jealous, and they're just so discontent with their life. And you've heard the word FOMO. It's fear of missing out. That we want others to feel like, oh, you're missing out. My life is great. And love doesn't do that. Love doesn't lift oneself up. And I've done that. We tend to do that in social media. And there's a humility there. Love does not desire to look good. Because it doesn't need to. It doesn't need to win the approval and praise of people because we have the approval of God. Um, How many of you took marketing or business in college? Right? So marketing, one of the things that they do is make people envious of you. Get that car. Get that watch. You know, you got to look good in these clothes. Oh, you'll make them envy you. And so love doesn't need to do that. Um, love does not need to boast because there's a humility and an affirming and the reality that I am loved by God. Um, let's keep going. Love is not rude. What does this mean? Love patiently re- responds to people that irk us. I think that's what it means, right? Love is not rude means we patiently respond to people that may irk us, that may push that nerve, that, that, that in-law, that cousin, the pastor, <laughs> The church member, the neighbor. I love Proverbs 15.1. You could write it down. Proverbs 15.1. A soft word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The wisdom here is when someone is rude to us, we have a choice. Be rude right back. Or in love, do not respond with the same rudeness. It's, it's tied to patience. It's not irked. It's, it's, it's really refusing to live and con- respond with the same kind of mistreatment. It is never rude. We'll keep going. There's, there could, a lot of them are intertwined. Next one, love is not selfish. Literally, you ready for this? Love does not insist on your own way. Now, everyone, just make sure you don't look at the people next to you and say that's you. Because all of these are meant to be us. I think the way Paul is writing it is, you check your heart. Do you always insist on your way? Hey, honey, it's uh, vacation time. Where are we going to go? I think I want to go here. Where do you want to go? That's loving. Honey, it's vacation time. This is where we're going because this is what we need. <laughs> and so 
And it comes in many different ways. It's insisting that I don't yield to you, but you yield to me. It is selfish. It doesn't seek the interests of others, naturally. It's always saying, I'm uncomfortable. Don't discomfort me. America, our idol is comfort. We want to be comfortable. Don't you inconvenience me. But love says otherwise. Love says, carry that cross, sacrifice. It's not selfish. It doesn't insist on your own way. Next, love is not irritable. Oh, man. This one, I told our Bible study on Wednesday, like, I need to pause because I, this, is, this is so me. Um, love is never short-tempered or easily explode. Do you ever have people walk around you like landmine? You know, that's a sign that, hey, there's an irritability. It doesn't become irritable because there's something, there's a peace in us and a love in us. Love presents us, prevents us from being triggered and explode when the person who messed up for the fifth time messed up again. And so here's the secret. The next word is no accident. Love is not resentful. And they're connected. Irritability, resentful. Because resentful means we do not hold the record of wrong by others. We don't keep a score. Love doesn't say, hey, you want to start that? Okay, 1986. Do you remember what you did to me? <laughs> remember we were at the arcade and Susie was trying to give me her number and you kind of, you know, we, we, don't, we don't keep score. We don't bring back the sins of the past. And they're tied together because we're irritable because we haven't forgiven the other truly. Love forgives. That's how you fight resentfulness. And when we're resentful or irritable, they're tied together. We bring this stuff home with us from work. And so parents and people who are stressed at work, at their job, they take it out on their spouses. Love does not need to do that. So let's keep going. Love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices with the truth. What does that mean? Love does not enjoy it when other people are suffering and evil comes upon them. We don't rejoice in that. Well, I hate that country. I'm so glad she got injured. I'm so glad that he lost his job. Love doesn't rejoice in evil. And in fact, it rejoices with the truth, God's truth. Love is celebrating all that's beautiful and real about God. So if you're rejoicing in love of something that's false, like, hey, man, it's good to have 50 girlfriends. You know, don't be faithful to your family. You know, hey, cheat a little, lie. You got to get that promotion. And you say, you know what? I'm going to affirm that because I love you. That's not, no, that's not, that's evil. Affirm the person who's a sinner, but don't, don't affirm that. That's not true, God's truth. So we don't rejoice in evil, but we rejoice in the truth. It has a different scoring system. We don't cheer downfall. In fact, we pray. We're, we're broken with them, and our hearts ache with them when people suffer, and we rejoice in God's truth. Four more. Love bears all things. What does that mean? Love is willing to protect. Love is willing to protect those people around us, even the people who we don't even know really well. It shields those around us, those brokenness, the defenseless. Love bears. It, it comes in, intervene. Rocks are being thrown. You cover them up, so you take the blunt of that, so they're protected. It cares about others. It is it's willing to even turn the cheek and bear that pain of pride and insult when someone attacks you. 
Love believes all things. This one, I think it was in the news this past week. Wherever you stand, for example, with Simone Biles when she pulled out. And in the beginning, I was like, what is this? What's going on? You know, and people are so harsh. The first thing within hours was she failed our country. And what love does is this. And I don't know the story. I'm not for or against. But what love does in that moment is we don't have all the information. Let's give the benefit of doubt. And let's pray. And let's bear. And let's believe in the best of that person. Husband and wives, greatest secret. Always give the benefit of doubt and believe the best that your spouse is doing. Until it's proven otherwise. And then you cross that bridge in a graceful way at that moment. But there's too much mistrust or speculation or distrust. It allows us to start having tensions. It believes in the goodness. It believes that even if they're not good, that I'm going to discover and realize all the both sides of the story. In church, I found that to be very helpful. There's his side. There's her side. And then there's the truth. <laughs> and so you always want to hear that together. And that's why we believe all things. Two more. Love hopes all things. It means to have this, avoid the pessimism that, oh, man, this is going to fail. Love keeps hope alive because we trust in God. Hope rises because of our faith in God. And love does not let go of that. Love doesn't give it away right away and says, oh, we lost it again. And lastly, love endures all things. It means it endures to the very end. It takes on a beating and it stands. It's resilient. It endures the suffering of the moment. And it says, God, you are my hope. It's the promise and the faith of Job. You know, just curse God and die, Job. No. It believes, it endures in love for God. And so these are all these things. Uh, how many of you uh, got, gave yourself an A plus? Like, hey, this is a breeze, man. There's an overwhelming demand of love in this, and I never saw it. We, we flippantly throw this out at weddings, like husband and wife, love is patient, love is kind. Uh, uh, implying, just, just live like that and you'll be fine. I'm going to be honest, as gospel people, man, we stink at this. Or I stink at this. So how do we live this out? When you look at this list, how can you walk out being self-assured with your chest high saying, darn it, I'm not perfect, but man, I'm loving. And that's the point, I think. The word of God is a reflection to us. It's like the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were never meant for you to follow perfectly so you could get to heaven because all of us probably this morning have failed at least one already. The Ten Commandments the word of God says, is a mirror for us to realize we are sinners. Galatians chapter 3.24 says this about Ten Commandments. The law, Ten Commandments, was our schoolmaster to bring us onto Christ. That we might be justified by faith as opposed to your goodness. In other words, the Ten Commandments are given to you and me to recognize I am a sinner. No one follows them perfectly. We have other idols. We worship things. We don't honor the Sabbath. We don't honor our mother and father perfectly. Even once, one sin breaking is breaking all the sins. And I think like the Ten Commandments, 1 Corinthians 13 is the law of love. 
which is to love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This law, the law of love, we look at and say, oh yeah, I'm pretty good at that. No, it reminds us, I can't love like that. I keep failing miserably every day. So, the only person that's kept it is Jesus. And so, here's the message. I want us to go and try harder and discipline yourself to follow this. Let's pray. No, that was a joke. I can't believe you guys actually prayed. No, that's a terrible message. The, the, the first Corinthians 13 is not saying do this perfectly by your own power. I think it's saying the demand of God's law of love is so high, we can't do this with our flesh and blood. So what does this mean? The only way we do this, we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's two things that comes out. This is not a prescription for you and me to live out perfectly. The message is you can't do this by your power. This is describing what God's radical, powerful, gracious love for you and me and sinners looks like. Amen? 1 Corinthians 13 is describing God's love for you. Who was patient and waited for us? Who has shown mercy to us when we needed mercy? Who humbled himself and didn't explode out of irritability? Who was protecting even sinners and waiting for them to send a deliverer, redeemer? Friends, who forgives? Who endures the attack of a thorn, of scourging? of the nail, and dies on the cross for us. Who endured that for you and me? Jesus. See, this is perfect love because this is a love that God has for us, and there we have the secret. The way, only way you and I could live with this kind of love is to be transformed by the love that we receive that looks just like this from God. You can't give love unless you've experienced it or else you just become religious weirdos trying to live this life by your own power and you either get boastful or you get just defeated but people of grace who encounter God's love and said Jesus you were patient with me you were not jealous of me you ran after me there is a love that transforms us to live this out J.I. Packer writes this agape love draws its meaning directly from the revelation of God in Christ. It, was, it is not a form of natural affection, thank God, however intense, but a supernatural fruit of the Spirit. It is a matter of will rather than feeling, for Christians must love even those they dislike. It is the basic element in Christ-likeness. How do you love someone that you cannot stand? Your own morality, you justify it. But when we come to Christ, we realize, Jesus, if you could love a wretched man like me, who am I to withhold forgiveness and love on her or him? Um, I use this example many times, but my favorite musical is Les Miserables. You guys remember Les Miserables? 
and the protagonist, Jean Valjean, his turning point was when uh, some priest took him in as he's, as he's kind of couldn't get a job and he was homeless. And how does Jean Valjean return the favor? He steals all his silver <laughs> and runs out. Police grab him. They bring him back to the priest and they say, we think this guy, we caught him, he stole from you. And the priest looks at Jean Valjean and says, my friend, in your hurry, you forgot the plates as well and the silverware. And so Jean Valjean was broken. What transformed him? Not wrath, not judgment, but the gracious love of the father, priest, who extended grace and kindness to him. And that moment changed his life. Fear will not make us love. Perfect love drives out fear. How will you and I love? When we look at Jesus Christ and say, oh, beautiful love. To give all of yourself for me when I didn't deserve it, it crushes us. It destroys our pride. And it makes us love with a supernatural love that God puts in us. This is why love lasts. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, 1 John 3, 16, the last verse in your notes. By this we know love. What is it? Describe it. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay it down for the brothers. That's not a command as much as that is the effect of the transforming work of God's love in us through Jesus Christ. And so we go to the table. We are going to mess up, but the standard of love is set out for us. How do we live it? By relying on the grace and the love of Christ that humbles us, that opens our eyes, that lets us even love our enemies and turn the other cheek. We love because he first loved us. Amen? May we be a people who live this out in our marriages, in our families, in our neighborhood, in our church. Gosh, I don't want love to just be a feeling. I want love to be, as God puts it, a transforming power through Jesus Christ in a redeemed community called the church. Amen. Would you join me as we confess our faith together before we go to the Lord's Supper with the Apostles' Creed? Uh, by the way, uh, August, I have a challenge for the youth group and for our church. The challenge is this, and I'm, I'm dead serious. I would love for our church to memorize the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. Some of you are already there, but for the youth group, um, that's going to be our challenge for the month of August. We want them to memorize Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. Uh, so it'll be a fun challenge, and we'll have a fellowship time and maybe play Jeopardy. But as we remember these, sacred, these precious words, a reminder of what we believe and hold, it starts with God's good news, and it comes to us. Friends, let us confess our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.